If you would, please uh, take out your Bibles and the Trinity Hymnal. Uh, Keep your Bibles at the ready and uh, keep your Trinity Hymnal open to page 845. 845, which is where we find the Apostles' Creed. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray and ask that You would open our hearts to your word this morning, open your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people. Father, may your word before us be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we are in a new series Christian, what do you believe? An exposition of the Apostles' Creed. Well, why this series? Why now? Well, it's the same reason that we did a series in Mark, the same reason a series in Galatians, to counter widespread ignorance and confusion when it comes to things, things such as Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And how should someone respond? And we saw that as we went through the gospel according to Mark. And remember how Mark started in verses 15 when Jesus announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, after we went through Mark, we then turned to the letter to the Galatians where we asked the question, well, what is the gospel? And we found uh, that centering verse, chapter 2, verse uh, 16, which reads this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here we come to the question, what is the Christian faith that is built around the gospel where the gospel is at the center and at the core? We, we, we see that, I believe, and we will see that more and more in the Apostles' Creed. Or, to put it more Personally, instead of what is the Christian faith, it's this question. Christian, what do you believe? I hope you've got a a couple of uh, the Grace and Peace postcards uh, to hand out to folks. Remember, it says this, to be human is to worship. And then it asks the question, who or what are you worshiping? Well, we could have the, the postcard say this, to be human is to believe. Who or what are you believing? I want to start by just going over a few things in Scripture that talk about the Christian faith. It's a historical faith. Christianity is rooted and grounded in actual events in space-time history. It's anchored by history. But also the Christian faith itself has a history. Listen to this, these passages from Acts chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. 
And they increased in numbers daily. Notice it says they were strengthened in the faith. A definite body of some kind of beliefs. The faith. At our men's prayer breakfast every month on the first Saturday of the month, in the email that goes out announcing it is this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. From our series in Galatians, Galatians 1.23, we heard this. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Many of you may be familiar with this passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And then finally, from Jude, that small letter that precedes Revelation, that's after 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is this in verse 3 of Jude. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So here is this biblical idea that there is the faith, the faith. Now, as we move toward the Apostles' Creed, most of us are familiar with an expression that goes like this, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. Well, it, it sounds good, but after a bit of reflection, it comes up lacking. I mean, if we have the Bible, why do we need a creed? Well, let me read this first paragraph from a short pamphlet entitled, Why Christians Need Confessions. It says this, Despite claims to the contrary, the Christian world is not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those who just have the Bible. It is actually divided between those who have creeds and confessions and write them down in a public form open to public scrutiny and correction, and those who have them and do not write them down. The reason is simple. Every church, and indeed every Christian, believes the Bible means something. And what it thinks the Bible means is its creed and confession, whether it chooses to write its beliefs down or not. So everyone whether they realize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or deny it, has a creed, a statement of belief. Now, the question is whether or not your creed is a good one, whether or not it lines up with God's revelation in Scripture. Now, the word creed comes from a Latin expression, credo, meaning I believe. And confession is Latin coming from something that says to say the same thing. And so we're going to be focusing coming up on the creed, this statement of I believe. 
Now, let's look at a biblical basis and support for creeds. Creeds within the Bible. You heard earlier from the Old Testament reading, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the great Shema. Shema being that first word, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 through 11, is what is called the Carmen Christi, or the hymn of Christ. Had we continued the introduction um, of our confession of sin, we would have continued with this about Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. So that description, most scholars think that that was a a, a hymn, a, a statement that Paul just brought in to his letter when he wrote the church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, we this, read this. For we believe that Christ, that Jesus died and rose again. In Romans 4, verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. There are statements that are made that people are believing. There are creeds within the Bible. In fact, the very name of our church, Grace and Peace, could also be seen as a creed as we saw over the past two weeks. Remember from Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God has appeared. I believe the grace of God has appeared in Jesus. And then in Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our peace. I believe that Jesus is not only our peace, I believe Jesus is my peace. Now, Christians and churches are forever looking for something to revitalize the faith, something new, the latest and the greatest. Every week in the church P.O. box, I get advertisements, the latest, the greatest, the newest thing that can transform your church's life, your ministry. Now, Christians And people in general may not say what's new is true and what's old is mold, but that's how they live. That's how they operate. Now, along with that, the instinct that many Christians have is to read the Bible as if it were all about me. However, as I believe we will see, the creed, as it summarizes the biblical message, makes it clear that the Bible is all about God. And so a creed is going to help us recover the balance in how we read and understand the Bible. And in doing so, it will revitalize our faith. Because creeds, we will see, I believe, in the Apostles' Creed in particular, will help anchor us in the harbor of God's Word. And when a ship is at anchor, it's prevented from drifting away out to sea. It's also prevented from crashing up against the rocks and running aground. So a creed, I hope we will see, is an anchor. It's going to hold us in the harbor of God's word. Now our approach to the topic of the need for a common creed will be to ask and answer a few questions having to do with the Apostles' Creed. It's history, it's content, and it's use. It's history. Where did it come from? Who wrote it? It's content. What does it say? How does it say it? 
and its use in the life and ministry of the church. Why is it important? Why does it matter? So the first part, let's take a look at the history. Where did it come from? Who wrote it? The Apostles' Creed is the oldest and simplest creed of the church. And as we will see, it contains many historical statements. But the the Apostles' Creed has a history as well. Now, who wrote it? The author is unknown, but we can answer the question, who didn't write it? Well, the Apostles didn't write it. Legend has it that it was written by the 12 Apostles and thus divided into 12 phrases, one for each of the Apostles. But there's absolutely no historical evidence for that. It's attributed to the Apostles. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because they directly wrote it, but because it reflects apostolic doctrine, the inspired teaching that God gave to the apostles and prophets upon which his church is built. Well, the origin, as you see on page 845, it it, it starts in the second century where the, the full implications of declaring that Jesus is Lord started to need to be fleshed out because in that day under Roman rule, the creed that everyone was supposed to describe, subscribe to was Caesar is Lord. And the Christian church was tolerated as a, as a sect of Judaism for quite some time until the really earliest, simplest Christian creed of Jesus is Lord ran afoul of the Roman Empire. So during beginning in the second century, this What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? It started to be developed. And interestingly, the Apostles' Creed was born as an instrument of evangelism. First, as a summary syllabus for teaching the faith to non-Jewish inquirers. And then as a declaration of personal faith for converts to use at the time of their baptism. In other words, as people were coming to faith in Christ, as they were professing faith, especially outside a Jewish Context and they were uh, about to be baptized, well, they, were, they would profess, they would confess this, this creed, and it became known as the Old Roman Creed. And further development, it became the Apostles' Creed. And that development takes place in the 3rd through the 6th, or the 3rd through the 8th centuries. And as it's being developed, it's, it's refuting various heresies, and it was widely used in the West for instruction and worship. It expresses uh, apostolic teaching and explicit rejection of Gnostic dualism. Why is that important? Because at that time, there was this secret knowledge. uh, 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 You had to be in the know, and part of that was the spiritual is good and the material is bad. And so the Apostles' Creed, as it's developing, is helping to counter that idea, as we will see at the heart of the Apostles' Creed, is the incarnation, the the. The, uh, the second person of the Trinity becoming flesh. By the 12th century, it was accepted by all branches of the church as a binding statement of Christian belief. Well, that's its development, its origin, its development. Well, how about its present status? It's recognized as one of the ecumenical creeds. Well, what does ecumenical mean? It means universal creed because the Apostles' Creed, as it stands by the 12th century, that was before uh, the division of the Roman Catholic and the Protestant world. And so it's, it's a universal creed. It's a clear and concise summary. While it summarizes apostolic teaching, it does not exhaust it. 
And it's, out, and it's an outstanding summary of the apostolic teaching concerning the gospel, as I believe we will see. Martin Luther, the German reformer, said this, Christian truth could not possibly be put into a shorter and clearer statement. Church historian Philip Schaff, in his uh, work, The Creeds of Christendom, says this, As the Lord's prayer is the prayer of prayers, the Decalogue, the law of laws, so the Apostles' Creed is the creed of creeds. It's an affirmation of basic beliefs that unite Christians throughout the world and throughout and across the centuries. So the Apostles' Creed has a history. It says something in just over 100 English words. Well, what does it say? And so now let's move on to the creed itself, its content. What does it say and how does it say it? And it would be helpful if you did have the Trinity hymnal open to page 845. Well, the Apostles' Creed is a systematic theology. As we saw in studying the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it organizes and summarizes God's Word. Now, before we look at what does it say, let's consider how it says what it says. Let's look at the structure of the Apostles' Creed, its organization. And let's note um, briefly several ways in which its structure can be seen. Well, some people, as you heard earlier, believe that it could be divided into 12 phrases attributed to each of the 12 apostles. But as noted earlier, that's a legendary um, idea that has no support. But what is clearly obvious is it is Trinitarian. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You also will see the pattern of creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. You will see God, in particular the Trinity, the church, and the Christian life from death in sin to resurrection to life. And you will also see it could be seen in, the, in view of time from eternity past to the present and to eternity future. Now before we move on to what it says, its content, let's Look again at its structure. The emphasis is on God's redeeming work. God the Trinity. His work in salvation. Appointed by the Father. Accomplished by the Son. Applied by the Holy Spirit. And we will see that more and more as we go through the Apostles' Creed. Now back to what it says. Content. Again, it starts off with God the Father. Possibly uh, looking at the Great Commission where the, uh, the, the apostles are commissioned to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see God the Father in creation. You see God the Son at the incarnation. His life, His death, His resurrection, His return. You see this statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But what it doesn't say directly, we will address. Because just in saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we will have to go to places in the Scriptures that speak about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You will see it speaks of the church. The church is described as holy and Catholic, separated 
for God's purposes. Catholic, it's universal. It's all around the world. You'll see a great description of the church as the communion of saints that we will unpack and explore later. You will see the Christian life of forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And at the center of the creed, both literarily and spiritually, at the center of the creed is the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got the most words, the most emphasis. It's the center of gravity. And that makes sense because when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It makes sense that this is of first importance. Now we've had just a brief overview of its history and its content. For the remaining time, let's consider its use in the life and ministry of the church. In other words, let's take a few moments to consider the so what of the Apostles' Creed. Well, if you have health insurance, along with the bill, you get an explanation of benefits, an EOB. And I want to spend some time now looking at a summary of benefits that the Apostles' Creed brings to the church. But before we get to the benefits of the Creed, let's first talk about its cost. Let's do a brief cost-benefit analysis. Let's look at cost. Well, what is it going to cost us to say to recite, to affirm, to confess the Apostles' Creed. What's it going to cost us? Well, it's going to cost us our pride. It requires humility. It will take humility to learn from the great summaries of Christian faith put together by previous generations. C.S. Lewis had a great expression. C.S. Lewis, the British author, um, said this, that the present day has a chronological arrogance about itself. It is a snob when it concerns comes to its own day and age. Along those lines, G.K. Chesterton, another British author, spoke of the church being a democracy of the dead, where the dead get a vote in what the church believes. And so this cost of humbling ourselves to affirm a creed that we ourselves didn't come up with, it, it, it's going to cost us. We're not the first generation of believers. We are in a long line of believers from before going through us and to after us. And so this cost... It's costing us pride. It's actually seen, I think, as a benefit because it promotes humility. You see, the Apostles' Creed, it relativizes the present and connects us with both the past and the future. So when you go into a church that recites the Apostles' Creed as part of Christian worship, it is being connected with the church that has come before. It is connected with the church that has come after. It is, it is saying that you are not the center. 
It promotes humility. And I, for one, need to grow in humility. But not only that, the Apostles' Creed commends the faith to ourselves. It helps us express the faith. It's a roadmap of sorts. It's not exhaustive. It's not meant to be. It's a tool for teaching the faith. It makes us focus on the heart of the faith. It shows us the need for personal faith. You think of Jesus when He says, speaking to people, these people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. He's quoting Isaiah and what the Lord said through Isaiah. Of course, with the Apostles' Creed, the mouth can move and the heart stays still at best or cold at worst. You can possess a form of godliness but deny its power, as Paul writes to Timothy, about people who outwardly conformed but inwardly were not conformed to the gospel. Well, what do we learn from the creed as we study it? We, we learn to believe in God the Father who made me and the world. We learn to believe in the Son who redeemed me. And thirdly, we, belie- we believe in the Holy Spirit who sanctifies me. So the Apostles' Creed not only promotes humility, it commends the faith first to us, ourselves, in the mirror. But it also commends the faith to faith to others. It helps others encounter the faith. It's, it can be used in evangelism. It's a short summary of who God the Father is, who God the Son is, what He has done, and who God the Spirit is. It commends the faith first to ourselves, but then to others. But also, the Apostles' Creed will help us defend the faith. It helps to guard the faith against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Those outside the church and those within the church. It helps us to ward off attack and to avoid error. It provides a balanced and biblical approach to the Christian life that's been tried and tested by believers down through the centuries. And in doing so, this creed allows us to recognize deficient versions of the gospel that are promoted around us and even at times we ourselves can promote. And so the Apostles' Creed serves not only as a foundation, as it were, of the faith in commending the faith. Here it could be served as a fence to defend the faith. And and, and last, it promotes the unity and fellowship of the church. The author of the book that I quote in the Something to Think About quote says this, When we recite the creed, we are saying that this is what we, the church, believe about God, creation, Jesus, and the life of the age to come. This is who we are. The creed is thus a political manifesto. It declares to the powers that be or pretend to be that we are the people defined by this story. The story of God, the reign of Jesus, the experience of the Spirit, and the hope of the world to come. So do you see what the creed does? The so what of the creed? It, it promotes humility on one end. It promotes unity on the other end. 
And between that, it commends the faith and it defends the faith as we will see as we go through the creed as it structures our walk through a number of scriptures. So the Apostles' Creed is not just a statement of belief. It is, as I believe we will see, a confession of faith because by the Apostles' Creed, we make a confession of faith. And embracing the Creed, what we do is we align ourselves with its teaching and God's revelation of Himself, a declaration in the Bible, of truth in the Bible. We not only believe in God, but we believe God Himself. Because you see, all of this in the Apostles' Creed not only can be supported by Scripture, but it comes from Scripture. It's what God has already declared. We agree with what God says, and we embrace that revelation as our own, and the Apostles' Creed helps us. J.I. Packer, Packer, the author of Knowing God, says this, that the creed is a PowerPoint declaration of the basics of the Christian message. I don't know what y'all's experience with PowerPoint is. Some of us probably love it. Some of us hate it. But the idea is this. In the creed, projected as it were up on the screen, is a PowerPoint declaration of the basics of the Christian message. And so we've made a, a, a rapid and brief overview of the Apostles' Creed, its history, its content, which we will explore in the coming weeks, and its use. Well, let's end with two short statements. First, what you believe matters. What you believe matters. It's not only who you believe, but it's also what you believe. It matters. Faith in Jesus has content. Downstairs in the Sunday school hour, we were watching a, a, a teaching series from the book of Job, and, and, and the, uh, the teacher referenced how C.S. Lewis, who upon the death of his wife, was questioning not the existence of God, but rather what kind of God he believed in. The Apostles' Creed will help us see what kind of God, who it is that we believe. Because faith in Jesus has content. Remember the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Apostles' Creed serves in that 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 desire to, or that command to, to observe or to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Now, this is serious business to acknowledge or to deny. I mean, our, our, our nation is captivated right now of some, a drama that's not going to take place in a courtroom, but a drama that's going to take place in a committee room. And the drama has to do with acknowledgement or denial. It's serious business. Remember Jesus. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. My friends, affirming the Apostles' Creed as it reflects the truth of God's Word is one way that we express our acknowledgement of Jesus before the watching world. 
So first, what you believe matters. And second, a common creed is needed. Now, maybe more than ever. Remember the New Testament reading? Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. It talked about what? One, one uh, let's see, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then it goes down in verse 14, excuse me, verse 13, about the fact that God has given good gifts to the church in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain, are you ready for this? To the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to the unity of the faith. Packer, in his exposition of the Apostles' Creed, says this, quote, Today on our own turf we face pagan ignorance about God every bit as deep and that which the early church faced in the Roman Empire. The whole story of the Father's Christ-exalting plan of redeeming love from eternity to eternity must be told or the radical reorientation of life for which the gospel calls will not be understood and the required total shift from man-centeredness to God-centeredness will not take place. All that the creed covers needs to be grasped and taught as an integral part of the message of the saving love of God. Remember, we went through Mark to answer the question, who is Jesus? We went through Galatians to answer the question, what is the gospel? And here, as we work our way through the creed, and as we work our way through the Bible that the creed addresses, it organizes and summarizes, we're going to be helped in answering the question, what is the faith that has for once been delivered for all of the saints? May God be pleased to bless our efforts in exploring and unpacking the Apostles' Creed as it organizes and as it summarizes the historical narrative of the gospel, the saving love of God, the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this creed. We know that it's not infallible. Only your word is infallible. We know that it's not inerrant. Only your word is inerrant. We know that this creed is not God-breathed. Only your word is God-breathed. But Father, so long, as long as it reflects the truth of your word and helps our human finite minds organize and summarize the wonderful details of your word and as it helps us see the message of the gospel and sees the faith that you have established through Jesus. Oh, Father, as that happens, may this creed indeed help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. 
We know, Father, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, would you be pleased to be at work in us to be able to declare with great joy and confidence that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory and for the good of your people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.